Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Unbound and Rewound podcast, a horror podcast, where we dissect every bone-chilling book and movie to look deeper into their anatomy. I am Avery, your lovely book-loving and movie-loving host, and this week I'm coming to you with a movie that I was so excited for at the end of 2022. Did my excitement prove to be true, prove to be worthy? I don't know, (laughs) but we will get into that in a moment, because right now we're talking about what are we streaming? What are we watching? I recently watched the Junji Ito horror like horror series on Netflix. I'm doing an episode on that next week. So make sure you tune in for that. If you haven't watched it already, I feel like you should definitely check it out because it's unique from what you may already be watching if you're not an anime person like me. Even if you are an anime person, I think it's still worth the watch. I'm not going to tell you everything that we talked about in the episode though, okay? I'm saving that because you will have to come back to know truly how I feel about that series. But in terms of other things that I've watched, I haven't really watched anything else because I've been so busy reading and podcasting and moving. I'm in the process of moving. So there's just a lot going on. So I haven't really been watching much else. But next week we have Knock at the Cabin coming out. So you will be hearing from me on that. I think I'm only going to be doing an Instagram post on that movie though because of just the timing and like that's literally the week that I'm moving. So I don't think I'll be able to get to the theaters to watch it in time. But you will be able to find my thoughts on my TikTok and my Instagram, probably even my Twitter. February has some good movies coming out too. Very excited to talk about those. I'm pretty sure the Teen Wolf movie is out now on Paramount Plus, so I will be watching that as well. Um, And then I've also been reading How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. That book came out January 17th. And I'm t- the day that it released, I put my purchase in on Amazon. And I got that book the next day, and I started reading it. I'm about halfway through, but I had to pause because I'm reading something else. But so far, it's really, really good. And that is an episode to come in the future as well with a very special collaboration. So keep an eye out on that. I don't really have any other updates for you all. Just a reminder, I do have a merch shop on Etsy, mainly, as you all know, for myself so that I can buy my own merch. I will be buying a tote bag, but in the case that you all want to buy stickers, a cute little tote bag, a cute little button to put on other tote bags you may have, or what else do I have? Oh, bookmarks. Yeah, in case you want a little cute bookmark, um, you can find those on the Etsy shop. And then, of course, if you ever want to be a guest on the show, you can find that link in the show notes below along with everything else that you need to know, my social media handles, the link to the Etsy shop, the link to my Amazon wish list. if you just so happen want to gift your favorite podcast host a little horror, a little horror merchandise, you can find that in the show notes too. Without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. So on January 27th, Brendan Cronenberg's newest movie, Infinity Pool, was released. 
Brandon Cronenberg is responsible for the 2020 Possessor movie, which was also produced by the um, by Neon Production, and you can find that on Hulu. I don't recall Possessor getting a theatrical release the way that Infinity Pool has, but I recently watched Possessor. It was my second attempt at watching it because the first attempt. I was just a little thrown off. <laughs> I was a little stunned, so I needed to take a break. But I rewatched it recently, and it was really good. After watching Infinity Pool, which literally has the same production crew, I can tell the similarities. I can pinpoint all of the ways that each mo- that both movies are the same, even down to their themes. And that's one thing that I liked about it. But before we jump ahead of ourselves, we have to talk about what this movie is even about because if you haven't heard of this movie, which crazy if you haven't, but if you haven't, it's starring Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goth, and Cleopatra Coleman, and it follows James, played by Alexander Skarsgård, and M. Foster, played by Cleopatra Coleman, a married couple with harmful strings attached as they navigate an all-inclusive resort vacation meant to draw inspiration for James's next book. The quick connection between the couple and another resort-frequent couple triggers the fall of what James knew about himself and the world of the rich. He comes to understand that privilege can buy you more than book deals and a lavish lifestyle. Initially, when I read what this movie was going to be about, because the trailer is, of course, one of those where it shows you what's going to be in the movie but it doesn't necessarily tell you what's going to be in the movie so when I read what this movie was going to be about which I talk about on my TikTok a little bit um, I was expecting it to be like just another kind of like white lotus the rich are bad and they they prey on poor people and whatever those messagings are fine and great but it's kind of just an oxymoron when it's a message being said from a rich person about rich people, you are one of them, you know? But I was proved to be a little bit wrong in that expectation. Now, that's not to say that the entire movie is not... The entire movie does not revolve around that theme or subject matter because it does... But I think what makes Brandon Cronenberg's exploration of the topic different is that he goes to places that other people might be a little bit too afraid to go to. Um, And you kind of see it in The Possessor too, but not too much. But Cronenberg seems to enjoy exploring themes of identity and humanity. So in The Possessor, you see this woman who's an assassin and by the end she realizes that with every kind of like process that she has to go through, she eventually loses all sense of who she used to be. And this movie is pretty much the same thing. Now, I'm going to do a spoiler-free, you know, quick little review and discussion before I get into the spoilers, but quite frankly, I don't have a lot of spoilers. So everyone looking for a spoiler-free review, y'all are in for a treat. The title Infinity Pool, which most titles of movies, they have a particular meaning or 
they relate to the movie in one way or the other. Like Barbarian. Everyone was so obsessed with the Barbarian title because spelled in a different way, it's just Airbnb. And it's like, oh my god, Barbarian, Airbnb. So with Infinity Pool, like an actual Infinity Pool, are man-made optical illusions that look like they have no boundary as the pool never ends. And so as you watch the movie, you and you keep that in mind, you begin to realize why the movie is called that. And as I talk about it here, you'll come to realize why it's called that. I'm first going to start talking about the themes because a lot of the likes and dislikes that I have and just general notes fall into the themes that I pinpointed in the movie. I feel like that's a really good starting place. And so one of the themes that I just saw right off the bat was just toxic and dangerous colonial tourism, which colonial tourism is toxic and bad anyways, but it's kind of just how we see in the White Lotus, where it's like these people are coming here and they're getting into problems here and they're messing up the the flow of society wherever they're visiting because they're just bringing all their troubles from whatever country they're coming from over to here. And this is kind of no different. And so you are introduced very quickly into this idea. You may even very well know of like people who go on vacation. They have privilege or wealth. To be able to go on vacation is a privilege in itself. So People who go on vacation, they like to visit the nice parts of certain countries. But will they step foot outside of those nice parts? Are they willing to go explore the local areas? If they are, is it because those places are known to be hospitable and friendly and equally nice as the tourist areas? Because a lot of times, tourists will recognize how a place they're visiting may have a high crime rate, right? That there might be dangers of those neighboring parts of the city or country that they're visiting, but they fail to acknowledge the reasons why these places are high in crime, low in wealth, and suffering from dangerous social climates. So multiple times in this movie, And like literally in the first 20, 25 minutes of this movie, multiple comments are made about just how dangerous this island is. Whenever M. Foster and James Foster meet Albin and Gabby and they're like, oh, you know, let's go to the beach. It's outside of the of the resort, but it's super fun. And M. Foster is skeptical because she's like, we're not allowed to to leave the resort. It's a poor country with a high crime rate. In my mind, I'm just kind of like, then why are you willing to visit here if the country is struggling? Or on the other side, why are you willing to visit here but not help to fund the local businesses of the place that you're visiting? If you're going to visit somewhere that you acknowledge is not as wealthy as other countries then visit some of the local shops. Pay, give your money directly to the people who are local to the town, not to a resort that was built by a capitalist who probably does not even live there to begin with. 
but they eventually do venture outside of the resort and as they do you see this barbed wire fence that is positioned on the border of the resort which pretty much segregates the people of the resort and the local citizens of this town that's also something that i find funny is because you have this fence that's supposed to act as a barrier between essentially rich people and low-class people and yet in the movie you see these people who work at the at the resort and they're talking about the the rich culture of the natives to the town and everything like that and they're introducing them to like the the holiday that they're celebrating on that particular day and it's like so you're willing to embrace this culture but not the people that the culture derives from all right they also mentioned just how this isn't a civilized country and so you know if you were to get caught doing a crime then you would be killed and like another part of just this like danger of colonial tourism is like i was saying before white people in particular i think because majority of this cast was white okay <laughs> white people crave culture but not the people behind that culture and so in this resort they have like a chinese restaurant they have an indian dance festival they have all all of these different multicultural events but when you see the people who are operating the events or working in the restaurants i'm hearing my people but i'm not seeing my people so chinese restaurant right no, there was nobody of Asian descent in that restaurant. Maybe eating, cooking, serving? Nope. It was just the same restaurant staff. The Indian Dance Festival night, there were no Desi people. There were no, like, I'm hearing, but I'm not seeing them. And that's the problem. And it's always been really weird because it's like just the whole like cultural appropriation conversation. You don't like this culture on the people that the culture originates from, but you're so excited to see that culture in a more acceptable format. And it's really weird, really weird. Another theme that I also saw in this movie was humanity, which I talked about a little bit as I was like talking about Brendan Cronenberg and his previous work. And just like Possessor in 2022, this movie also deals with the theme of humanity or the loss of it. And a nice question that I think this film poses of your humanity and what does it take for one to lose touch with it? And we see this in other films, how the protagonist may take a journey down a path of ultimate destruction and it ultimately does destroy them uh, who, and who they once were. However, I think this film dives a bit deeper and I feel like it put a spotlight not on the action that's causing this character to question his sense of humanity, but the internal fight that he has. And the thing that Neon Productions does very well, or at least in Possessor that I saw, is they depict mental processes in a very specific way to where 
yes, it makes it hard to understand, but it's also because like depicting something that's going on up inside someone's head, I think is already such a unique thing to do. And so they use very abstract colors and cinematography to show you, okay, this person is literally battling demons. <laughs> like, that's what it was. That's one thing I like about this movie, but also just the productions that I've seen from Neon in the past. And along with, like, this fight for humanity and, like, your own humanity in general um, is wealth, privilege, and power. It does kind of go hand in hand with humanity. We see cases in film and real life where the more privilege one gains, the more power they're able to have or feel, which ultimately leads them to choosing between their humanity and their power. A lot of people like the movie The Hunt, which is about these group of people who find themselves stranded in the middle of the woods and it's because these rich people have paid to be able to hunt them for game as if they're animals. The Purge is another example. Most of the people who are able to survive the Purge are rich people because they're able to board themselves up, protect themselves, but also they have the protection they need while also wanting to and participating in the Purge itself because they're not going to deal with the consequences. The Hunger Games is another one where only the poor people essentially are the ones who have to fight and earn success. And then Ready or Not as well is another one where, you know, rich people kind of just use their privilege and their power and and try to kill people. So in this movie, it is a little bit different in the sense that for a generous fee, the government of this island or town or whatever, uh, they will double the body of an international tourist charged with a crime. And they say that it's a part of their tourism initiative. And I just want to know, you know, because I, I feel like I always thought that initiatives that are enacted by government or just any organization are like things that you're achieving to do to to better your your society or group of people or whatever so like how colleges have diversity initiatives they're going to do things to improve their diversity well now that i say that i see see how that i guess it makes sense you know their tourism initiative it's like but i just okay Towns, cities, whatever. They do things to improve tourism because tourism improves the economy of that place and the livelihood of that place. So I'm just kind of like, if you're allowing these tourists to pretty much commit whatever crime they want, as long as they pay you, but then you still have people that are poor in the country, it's like, is anything really improving? I mean, I guess the pockets of the government officials. Anyways, I hate rich people. With this enactment of the tourism initiative, it kind of creates a lawless place for rich people. 
what will they do knowing that they can pretty much pay their way out of crimes? Once you kind of learn this um, about the town and you see what James does with this knowledge, you begin to see how, how their superiority complex grows and they start just kind of acting like they own the place and they own everybody and they can get away with anything, which essentially they, they can and they do. Aside from the themes of this movie, uh, I think the world building was pretty well done. The opening dialogue did a good job of just kind of like setting the place and tone for where we were starting out in the story. And so it starts out with James and M. Foster and they're just having a conversation. James is talking in his sleep and the things that they say to each other you can tell that they have marital problems um and part of this vacation is also i think to kind of smooth over whatever conflict they may be having in their relationship something that's a little sneaky about this opening dialogue is that m mentions how james acts like he's brain dead so the more that you watch the movie, and if you even like, if you remember that being said, and you're like, hmm, interesting, it's all making sense now. There's a lot of foreshadowing, I would say, in this movie. Um, so it's definitely one that I would say you should watch twice if you're able to, so that you can pick up on all the tiny little details that Mr. Cronenberg added into this film. Within the first 20 minutes, you're entranced by this daunting atmosphere with intrinsic and tilted and upside down shots of the resort, all while this deep drum is just beating incessantly. And that's why I say it reminded me of White Lotus. I feel like there's not a moment in White Lotus that does not have tension building music. It's like whenever there's a scene change, it plays that very deep drum beating and it zooms in on like the statues of the heads or the paintings on the wall or whatever the, whatever it is, whatever season we're talking about here. There's just always like those, those scene changes and in, in the in-betweens that really set the tone. And so for this movie, it's really no different. And I really liked it too because even in moments where say like a, a slasher movie, right? The suspenseful music may not start or may not come into play until a woman is following some suspicious noise that she hears outside. The suspenseful music may not start until the killer is revealed and now the lead actress is running for her life. In this movie, it literally does not stop. Like, they're driving to the beach, and the suspenseful music is playing even then. Even though Mia Goth is in the front seat dancing like she's listening to Lana Del Rey. It, but she's dancing to, like, this very daunting drum beat as the camera is kind of, like, tilting to the side. And it, you definitely, there's not a moment in this movie where you feel like, okay, everything's okay. Everything's all right. No, you you're just always feeling like... Anything could go wrong at any moment. I also think that there were a, there were a few like subliminal messages. 
One of them, though, I only caught one of them because the imagery of this movie was a little intense, and uh, I'll go more into depth about that in a moment. But one of the things that I did catch on to was this holiday that the local citizens of this town celebrate. They wear masks, and those masks are very uncomfortable to look at. One of them is designed to, like, to have coins coming out of the mouth. And at one point in the movie, one of the rich people wears that mask. And so, like, that's where I really saw it and decided to write it down because I was like, hmm, yeah. But it's also like, is this to say eat the rich? Or is it to say the rich are money hungry? It could go any either way. Any and either way. This movie also was very depraved, but it's also nothing different from what Possessor offered in 2020. The way the movie is set up, you think that it's your regular, regular uh, vacation movie where, you know, maybe somebody gets killed and they cover it up. Or this couple is, this couple is having marital problems and maybe there's a little bit of infidelity in the middle, but... They will leave this resort as changed people. But when something does go wrong and James is having to face criminal consequences, they offer to create a body double of him so that that double can stand in the place of him and he will get killed instead. The only thing is that, yeah, you can get out of your criminal consequences by doubling your body and, you know, putting him in the place of you. But you still have to witness the execution of this doppelganger with no choice. Like, that's just the part of the process. I think this kind of serves to be some sort of justification for the loophole that's been created around the crime that you committed, you're not entirely free of consequences because there has to be some mental effect of watching yourself get killed. And that point is proven when you see James as he's watching himself get killed. It seems like he's a little troubled at first as he watches himself. And then... It's like you see this this processing on his face. It's like he's trying to understand what he's looking at, but eventually there's just a, like a like the smallest hint of a smile on his face, and you you get clued in to like where we're going. You know, it's like all right, now we're on the gas. We're pressing down on the gas and we're moving. While I said that People who go on vacation to come back as different people. This movie, at first, may come across as a married couple going on vacation, trying to patch over their relationship, whatever, hoping to come back as a healthier couple. The statement is still true of like, yeah, you're going on vacation and you're going to come back as different people, but just not the way you think so. While... There are various aspects to why this movie is a psychological sci-fi thriller. One of the ways that it kind of messes with the mind of the characters, but also your mind as well, is because there is this like looming sense 
of dread and you don't really know why like i mean as you move through the the film and the narrative you you start to understand what's going on where the story's taking you but you still even though you might have a little bit more of clarification you still don't know why you're feeling anxiety or this weight um or this uncomfortability and then one of the characters asks james do you fear that they killed the real version instead of the carbon copy? And that, for me, is where it clicked. Especially like when you're talking about identity, right? These carbon copies that have been created to kind of excuse you for your wrongdoings, they have all your same thoughts, all your same emotions, your, con- like, your same consciousness in a way. If it were to be... If you were to have been switched, you know, before the execution and your real self were to have, you know, been killed in the place for your carbon copy. And now, like, technically speaking, you are your carbon copy. Would you really know? How would you know? So I have more to say on that, but I will be holding off on that because there are a few spoilers, a few things that I feel like should be saved for until you watch the movie. And then you can come back and you can hear the rest of what I have to say on that because it's, it's, it's a little juicy, you know? On the topic of identity as well, one thing that I didn't like about this movie is that the characters felt a little two-dimensional at times. And so while James had the most dimension as the protagonist, he still fell flat in some areas. But one way that he did not fall flat was the way that he identified with being inferior. It's something that you more like see and pick up on throughout the movie versus like anything being explicitly told to you. But... As the movie is set up, you learn James is an author who's only published one book. And later on in the movie, you learn that his wife's dad is the one who published it. It didn't get good reviews and it got very little attention. And so that being his only book that he's gotten and it wasn't even really him who got it published, but just the privilege that he had that got it published. He feels a little insecure about that. And I think it's this same inferiority complex that is what keeps him from exploring the darker tendencies that he eventually experiences by the end of this movie. Throughout the movie, M. Foster repeatedly reminds him that he's living off of her. And even when he when she's talking to Albin about like their relationship and his you know, book being published and everything. Albin says, like, he, he tries, he makes a joke in terms of like, oh, but don't you ever get tired of like, financing him or something like that. And she says that she's on the brink of becoming a charitable organization from financially supporting her husband. When I tell you, if, if somebody ever said that about me, I would probably start throwing up, crying and screaming because in front of people like 
you're gonna you're gonna say that in front of me about me to somebody else that's embarrassing but like also humiliating yeah so i just i feel like he harbors all of these insecurities that are fueled by his own wife but also by himself there are other things that i want to say on on that point as well i have to hold off until the spoiler side of this review or whatever but i definitely i liked what we saw in this movie based off of this one point of james's inferiority complex and i think that brandon cronenberg did a very good job at exploring it yes some of the context to it might have been uh, diluted or missed because of some of the imagery, but I think upon a second watch, it might be easier to to see and understand. Like I said before, the visual choices and imagery of this movie was one of the strongest points, but also one of its weakest points too, um, because while... Neon Productions loves them some color in their movies. I think that trying to depict certain things and also aiming for the shock value that Brandon Cronenberg likes to aim for, things can just get lost. And so you're trying to make sense of all these things during the movie. And I think that as you're trying to make sense of so many confusing images or how one image may link to another or whatever, you might even miss other details in the story. And I found that to be true, especially towards the end. I mean, you know, if you were just watching this movie purely on the visuals of it alone, it would probably be outstanding. Like if it had no storyline at all, you just were watching it to to look at the pictures. It would be a great movie. <laughs> Something I did like about it as well is that you never do lose that eerie feeling that the movie is trying to achieve. And I talked about that a little bit in the beginning when it comes to the camera work and the musical composition as well. I think that they took advantage of those two mediums. I also think the casting choices for this movie were really smart. And casting is not always something that I that I talk about in my reviews a lot just because I don't know obviously casting is important and I'm not like discrediting it at all because a lot of actors are very very talented but some actors I do pay attention to more than others and so like Mia Goth for example and Alexander Skarsgård I know what they've done in the past and so I know that the choice of them in this movie was really smart because when you watch this movie and you see the things that Alexander Skarsgård has to do, oh, like, you'll understand why I say that it was a smart choice going with him because I think Alexander Skarsgård embraces the weird and the uncomfortable when it comes to his work, and he definitely had to do a lot more than just embracing the weird in this movie. Along with Mia Goth, I think this character was actually a lot different than all of her previous characters that I've seen her play. And so it was interesting to see her in a position of being an unlikable character. I mean, in, in X, she played an unlikable character because she played like Old Pearl, 
But we didn't know that was Mia Goth. <laughs> we didn't know. And even in Pearl, she was likable because you, you like empathized with her if you had watched X before. Even if you watched Pearl first and then saw X, I don't know. I think the, the ordering is definitely like, I think the order of which you watch the movies changes your perspective as a watcher. But I watched X first and I definitely empathized with Pearl even then. So, but yeah, I think this is the first like unlikable character that Mia Goth played. And oh my God, like I, at first, loved her but by the end i was like i'm sick of her i don't i don't want to see her anymore <laughs> that goes into why i felt like the characters were a bit two-dimensional every other character is something that we've seen before me and goth and cleopatra coleman are pretty much stuck playing archetypes that don't truly highlight their talent whereas with james yes he's a little bit you know, more dimensional, but you still don't really understand his motives a lot of the times. You don't really understand his motives as a character, even whenever his character kind of changes by the climax of the story. You don't understand why those changes have necessarily been made. I feel like this movie is definitely, I know I've already said it before, but I definitely think this movie is something that takes a second watch to fully enjoy just because there are a lot of things to see and understand and digest before you can fully come to terms with what the movie is about and what it's trying to say and the questions it's trying to pose to you. I've also said before talking about the visuals, but... I do think that Brandon Cronenberg does just try to go for shock value sometimes with with gore, but also just with like obscene imagery. And while some people like that, and that's completely fine, I think sometimes it can come a little oversaturated. And for this movie, especially because of all other different complex details of this movie, it just seems to overcomplicate your analysis of it. That's really all that I have for non-spoiling information on this movie. So if you have considered watching this movie, you know I never say somebody should not watch a movie. Even when it came to men last year, I said that you should still watch the movie even though I thought it was hot garbage because everyone's going to experience a movie differently and I just don't think that I should rob anybody of that experience. So I think this movie is definitely worth a watch and a second watch if you think that that's something you'd be interested in. To see my official word review of this, you can find it on Letterboxd at AveryCOF. I do hope that you choose to go out to see this movie. If you don't, that's okay. My heart will not be broken. But I just want to know why you why you don't trust my opinion. That's all. But anyways, yeah, I hope that you do come back after you've watched this movie to hear everything else that I have to say on it. And that would be your cue to get out. You don't got to go home. You just can't stay here unless you want it to be spoiled. Then by all means, 
stay. And for those of you who are staying, whether you've already seen it or you just don't care that it is going to be spoiled, I appreciate that. You know, I do. So thanks. Like I said in the beginning of this episode, I really don't have any more... I don't really have much more spoiling information. Um, I pretty much said everything that I that I wanted to say in the beginning. But I did want to talk about a, a little bit more about the process um, of James getting a body double. The way that it represented the change from his inferiority complex to his superiority complex. And just how that kind of translates to the conversation of how, you know, rich people are the problem. When the question is posed of like, do you fear that they killed the real version instead of the carbon copy? It introduces a new question to the narrative. You know, before the questions were, well, at least for me, after James had been copied and his, so to speak, double was killed, I wasn't really sitting here saying like, oh, what if that's not really him? It just didn't cross my mind. Maybe for some other people it did, but for me, it didn't. And then when the other character posed the question, it was like, oh yeah, you're right. And so when you keep that in mind, and then throughout the movie, and then even now, like thinking about it, talking about it, you start to think, so was it really him or not? Especially after he went ahead and had the process done an additional two times. So anywhere in those three times that he copied himself and killed himself, he very well could have been switched. And once he is doubled, then he's embraced by Albin and Gabby's group because, you know, they, they've all gone through the process multiple times. And they come to this exact resort all of the time because of this exact kind of agreement that they have with the local government. Now, I mentioned it kind of before, but it creates this lawless place for them to commit any crime that they want because at the end of the day, they have the money to get themselves out of it. And once James is embraced and he, you know, starts to grow comfortable and have fun with this group, then you start to see um, the group superiority complex come out in general because, um, you know, they'll be sitting at brunch and they'll just be destructive to the resort's property, being loud, obnoxious. So then James, and there's one particular part. It's about in the, the middle of the, I would say this is like the climax. It's like the climax scene where they're all hanging around and James sniffs like that bowl of drugs or whatever it was. And then he goes to beat up the security guard. In that scene, he is acting like we have not seen him act before. Like he's acting like an alpha cokehead, really. And he's beating up the security guard. And before, like, he was just kind of quiet, calm, calculated. And now he's just rambunctious completely. This scene is kind of what shifts the narrative altogether because he thinks he's beating up the security guard that took his passport and is withholding his passport, trying to keep him at this resort in this town. 
And so this is his act of revenge. Well, all along, this group has really just been plotting on him to try to have a little fun with him. And once he beats the security guard, also he pees on the security guard. Once he does that, then Gabby takes off like the bag that was over the security guard's head and reveals that it's really James. That James has beat up himself. He won't put an end to his carbon copy. Like he runs away. And when I first watched it, I was kind of like, hmm, I wonder. So is he doing that because he's being taken out of whatever like superiority trance that he's been in? Like he's gotten his compassion back or whatever, right? Like after sitting with it for a little bit, I've come to consider it wasn't because he was too compassionate to kill anyone. But I think it's more of just he doesn't want to be the one with blood on his hands. He had no problem watching himself get killed. Numerous times, actually. He had no problem. Yes, he was like completely stunned that he had killed the kid that he, you know, ran over initially. But if he truly had compassion, he wouldn't have listened to Gabby when she said, no, we just need to leave him. We can't get arrested. He would have been like, honestly, like I need to pay for, for the damages that I've caused. But this is also why Gabby, Albin, and like their entire group of friends make such a big deal about James killing himself. Because James's ability to put an end to a copy of himself shows that final disconnection between his humanity and uh, his animalistic tendencies, so to speak. The word animalistic or animal, as it pertains to this narrative, is pretty important when you do watch the, not like very, very last scene, but I guess just the like conflict resolution because Gabby brings out a dog. She's like, bring the dog in. So there's a slow reveal of a dog, but the dog is James in a collar and he is acting like a dog, attacking the the like human James as if he were a rabid dog. And in my notes, I wrote like man versus beast, but it's you against yourself because I do think that this movie entertains the idea that we all may have animalistic behaviors or tendencies within ourselves, but it's our humanity that keeps us from entertaining those tendencies and behaviors. And so with James, you see in this movie that all he really needed was the opportunity to entertain it, and he did. That's all it really took. And so at the end of the day, yes, James might not come for money. He might not be rich himself. His wife might be the one who's rich. However, give him the opportunity to put himself above other people, and he will. The thing that sets James apart from these other people, though, is that they 
I I think their animalistic tendencies and their disconnection from humanity is greater than James's because once it's all said and done, they're on the bus back to the airport to leave to go home. They say their goodbyes, but James is unable to leave. Like, he looks at his plane ticket and he sits in the airport until it's completely empty. And then he goes back to the resort. All throughout the movie... Gabby talks about how it's almost rainy season. You know, that's when the resort closes because it's rainy season. It rains all the time. When the movie closes out, you see James sitting on the beach at the resort and the rain is just falling on him. I do think this this makes a really good ending because rain obviously is a symbolism for like cleansing and purification and so as james sits there and lets the water just rain down on him it's his way of trying to cleanse himself of everything that he's experienced especially because this is the place where he kind of lost control of his soul and so by sitting here letting the rain fall fall on him metaphorically cleansing himself is he hoping to get it back I don't know. I definitely want to watch this movie again because I do think that I missed some things. I think that I could get a better grasp of the overall concept, overarching themes, and of James, the character. I think the character was like, I I mean, okay, I said that he was a little two-dimensional. Yes, but I think that he was still a very interesting character to observe. Because I really enjoyed watching his character's journey. But as I said, you know, I, that's really all that I had, all that I really wanted to explore more of this movie. And uh, I hope that if you weren't thinking about watching it already, you plan to watch it soon. Um, it just released, so you have some time to watch it if if you do plan to watch it, or you can wait for it to come out on HBO Max or Hulu or wherever it's coming out on. Make sure to uh, follow me on Instagram if you're not already following me, because I will be posting about new episodes coming up, and any movies that I'm not able to do episodes on, I will be talking about on Instagram, also TikTok. My TikTok is different from my Instagram. It's at the Unbound Rewound Podcast, whereas my Instagram, my Twitter is Your Horror Podcast. Like I was saying before, I do have uh, a merch Etsy shop. If you do want to get some cute little stickers or a cute little tote bag, that's Your Horror Podcast as well. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can find the form link in the show notes below. I would love to bring some some of you on and talk about your favorite movies or books or whatever. And yeah. Oh, and my letterboxed. Letterboxed is at Avery C-O-F. You can find my Infinity Pool official quote-unquote review on there, as well as other reviews, movie lists. My reviews are always fun on there because sometimes I like to get a little quirky. So check me out on there. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to catch you next time.